morning, church. Shalom to all of you. My name is Daniel. You are guests with us. You are very much welcome to our Kus family. Such a joy to be with the family. Actually, I was uh, uh, hearing that uh, the pop-pop party has already popped. Huh? Too many people already, <laughs> as it is. Huh? But, uh, you know, I think God is doing something wonderful in our midst. Amen. Uh, that's also uh, out in the atrium. You'll find a place where you can sign up for men at Kus. This is for, obviously, men. Right, but uh, if you are wanting, they have a retreat in early November. So some of you may consider signing uh, for that Manakus retreat. Uh, and on Thursday, we actually have a very thriving uh, elderly, uh, well, I guess should they evergreen fellowship. So some of you maybe if you are retired and you know you are wondering what to do during the weekdays, you may want to come down. They had some fantastic yong tau fu last uh, Thursday. So so those of you who didn't come, you missed it lah. But I'm sure they'll have something special uh, in weeks to come as well. Okay, we're going to jump right in because we have quite an interesting topic and a lot to cover today. And we are in a very special season right now, but we'll, we'll get to that, right? We're going to look at something today in the Bible which is called the Feast of the Lord. The Feast of the Lord. Now, within the Christian calendar, there are a lot of different you know, celebrations and feasts such as Christmas and Easter and you know there are some like Lent and uh, Ash Wednesday. Now, all of these, by the way, will be post-Bible, right? It's after the Bible. So you won't actually read about Christmas in the Bible per se. You won't read about uh, Ash Wednesday or Lent in the Bible. They, they point to different events in the Bible but are not mentioned in the Bible. There are also other Biblical feasts that are mentioned in the Bible but you know are not commanded by the Lord, such as the Feast of Purim, the Feast of Hanukkah, and so on and so forth. Now the ones that we are looking this morning, looking at this morning, are what you call the feast that of the Lord that God Himself has commanded. And you can find these written uh, up for us in Leviticus chapter twenty three, as well as Numbers chapter twenty eight and twenty nine. And I'm just going to read the first two verses from Leviticus chapter twenty three to describe this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Alright, so these are God's feasts. They are not man-made feasts. They are feasts that God has commanded. What are they? Seven are listed for us. They are the feast of Passover. Many of us are familiar with this. The feast of unleavened bread. Vaguely familiar with it. The feast of first fruits. Many of us are clueless about this one. The Feast of Weeks, in Hebrew we call it Shavuot, but we also know it better as Pentecost, right? So Christians know this quite well. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, this one you know, and the Feast of Tabernacles, seven Feasts of the Lord. Now I have a chart here that shows you where these feasts kind of fall within the calendar. Now before we jump into it, there are two circles. The outer circle are the Hebrew months. Now, the Hebrew calendar uses what is called a lunar month, a lunar month, right? Which is different and doesn't coincide with the uh, Gregorian calendar, the January-February months. Actually, the Hebrew months coincide with the, what you call the Chinese months. Uh. Yeah, actually, the Chinese also. We just finished uh, seven months, right? But for the Hebrews, eh, did we just finish seven months? We did, right? Just seven months. But for the Hebrews, uh, uh, for the Jews, the seven months is about to begin. Right? So, but no ghost on, right? So, the outer ring is the names of those uh, Hebrew months. And the Hebrew months, and these are the Babylonian names of the months, uh, begins with the month of Nisan, not the car Nisan, uh, like Toyota Corolla. These are Nisan on the right. Can you see? 
Nisan at the 3 o'clock position. That's the beginning of the religious month. If you look in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, when they came out from Egypt, God said to them, this shall be the beginning of your months. The first month. That is the month of Nisan. Now within that month, during the time of spring, there are three feasts, known as the Feast of Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. All of these fall within the spring feast. You count 50 days, right? After the Feast of First Fruit, you count 50 days or 7 weeks plus 1 day, and then you come to the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost, you know, late spring. But then now, on the other side, you see the fall feasts, right? Tabernacles, Atonement, and Trumpets. Okay, now these are very interesting because some people feel that there is a prophetic significance to this, uh, this feast, alright? I know when I say prophetic, everyone woke up, alright? So, there's some prophetic significance because they see that at least in the spring feast, some of this have been fulfilled prophetically. Uh, what do you mean by that? Passover, for instance. Passover, as some of you may know, is the feast where they remember how they smeared the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost and the lintel of the house so that when the angel of death comes and sees the blood, they will pass over there by sparing the people in that particular household, right? And Christians look at this and say, yes, that's Jesus is our Passover lamb. Because his blood on the cross is smeared, as it were, over our lives such that the judgment of God comes to us, sees the blood of Jesus and passes over us and thereby sparing us. So to them, that's fulfilled in Jesus. The feast of the unleavened bread. Leaven is a kind of yeast, right? And it means different things throughout the Bible, not always the same thing. But in this context, it means sin. And the feast of unleavened bread is the removal of sin for seven days. And to them, the only one who's done this perfectly is Jesus, who lived a sinless perfection, right? He lived a life of sinless perfection. And so in Jesus, the feast of unleavened bread has been fulfilled. And then some people look then at the feast of first fruit. Some of us are, okay, that one I don't know. All right, let me tell you what the feast of first fruits is. It's when you present the first fruits of the harvest to God, right? And that happens usually on the first Sunday after the feast of Passover. The first Sunday after Passover will be the feast of first fruits. Now remember in the Bible, on that Sunday morning after Passover, what happened? Mary came to the tomb looking for Jesus. Tried to grab Jesus when he sees him. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, don't touch me. I have. I need to go up to the Father and present myself to the Father first, right? So some people look at that and wow, that's Jesus. He's the first fruit of the new covenant and he's being presented to the Father. He has fulfilled the feast of first fruits. And then you have the feast of Pentecost or the past, uh, the feast of, well, let's just call it Pentecost, right? And many of us remember, you used to read in Acts chapter 2, how the Holy Spirit was poured out because in the first Pentecost, back in Mount Sinai, the law was given. But now we see that in this uh, New Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to all of us by writing the laws in our hearts. So these people would look at all these feasts and say, you know what? It looks like these feasts, the spring feasts, have all been fulfilled in one way or another in the past through the life of Jesus and the events of the New Testament. Now, I have to say something first, alright? That when I say these things have been fulfilled, they are fulfilled uh, in a kind of in what, uh, quotation marks. Because the lines that connect these events are dotted lines. We're not very... The Bible doesn't say it explicitly. It is something that we look at it and we think, huh, yeah, it looks like it might be, right? Sometimes when you read the Bible, you say, wow, that sounds like something. Okay, it's a dotted line, right? It's not a hard line, it's a dotted line. So some people feel that way, other people may not agree, but it is what it is. 
But the spring, the four feasts, the same people would now look at the four feasts and say, but the four feasts have not been fulfilled. They are meant to be fulfilled at some point in the future. Now what are the four feasts? The four feasts, the first one is the Feast of Trumpets in which you blow the trumpet. Actually, yesterday, alright, starting from Friday evening, is the uh, Feast of Trumpets this year. Right, which is why we are talking about this. So for them, the Day of Trumpets is very significant because they imagine, now there's, they read the Bible and think that when Jesus comes back, that day is the Day of Trumpets. And how do they say this? They look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. I'm going to read that for you. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven, and actually we have the verse, right? Uh, will descend from heaven with a shout. By the way, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the Day of Trumpets, is called Yom Teruah. Right, Yom Teruah. Yom is day. Now, some of you here speak Malay. Anyone here know how to speak Malay? Ex-Malaysians or still Malaysians? Okay, you know, right? So what's the meaning of the word Teriyak in Malay? Teriyak means shout, right? To shout or, or to, to yell out, right? Teriyak. But guess what? The same word in Hebrew, Teruah, also means shout, right? So you know a bit of Malay, hey, you need to know a bit of Hebrew also, right? So the day of shouting is what this day is. The day of shouting. And of course, the way to make it shout louder is to use a shofar. So, the, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So this is looking at some future point, something that has not happened yet, clearly. We are still here, right? So, on that day, where there's a final resurrection of everybody, it will be preceded by a blowing of a trumpet. So some people look at it and say, wow, that sounds like the day of trumpet dotted line. Huh? Okay, not a hard line, but it's just a dotted line. In one uh, in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 12, it says, and it shall come to pass in the in that day of the Lord, when the Bible talks about that day of the Lord, it refers to the day when the Messiah returns. Right when God returns, will thresh from the from channel of the river to the brook of Egypt. Threshing usually signifies judgment. Right, and you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. So it shall be on that day, the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Syria, and they will who are outcast in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mountain of Jerusalem. So look at all these things. Referring to some future fulfillment, hasn't happened yet, but sometime towards the end, there will be a blowing of the trumpet. And now they look at this and they look at the day of trumpets and they say, you know, they put two and two together, right, and get four. So maybe one and one together get two, right? And they say, okay, wow, that sounds like the day of trumpets. So some people say, they actually believe that you know, Jesus will actually come back on the day of trumpets and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about this, right? Now, 10 days after the day of trumpets, 10 days after the day of trumpets is actually the day of uh, atonement. Now, many of us know about the day of atonement. It's the day in which a sacrifice is given to basically cover the sins of Israel. The word uh, day of atonement in Hebrew is Yom HaKippurim, the day of covering. Kippurim means to cover. Actually, the word kappa, cover, is the covering, right? So, the day of covering of what? Covering of our sins. So, through the sacrifice, the two sacrifices, right? One scapegoat and one sacrifice of sin. Our sins are covered. So, that's kind of what's happening there. Um, now, 
the third one is actually, and let me just read to you, right? People also see the Day of Atonement as a day of judgment. As a day of judgment. Because the, the Jews have a tradition. Again, it's not in the Bible, but there's a tradition of the Jews that on that day, books will be opened. Three books. First is the Book of Life. You all want to be in the Book of Life. Trust me on this, right? The second book, right, is the Book of Death. The, those, those who don't make it, right? You are in the Book of the Dead. But there's the third book. And I don't know what's the name of this third book, but it's for all those people who are kind of haven't decided yet. You're still, you know, maybe this book, maybe that book. Uh, okay, we're still still being tested, all right? Now, this second two books, uh, second and third book, they are not mentioned in the Bible. But the first book, the book of life, is mentioned for us in Revelations. Let me read to you uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. There I saw a great white throne. For those of you who don't know, haven't read Revelations, the great white throne is the throne of judgment of God, right? And him who sat on it, from, the, from whose the face of the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the small, the great, standing before God. And books were opened. Not one book, several books were opened. And another book was opened. Right? So there's some books were opened. And then this book was opened, which is the book of life. So we know at least one of the books is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Very interesting, huh? Not just judged according to their denomination, huh? Not just judged according to their beliefs, but according to their works, by, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. The death and Hades were cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right? So you want to be in the, which book? Okay, I'm glad you're clear about it. So, during this season, the way the Jews will greet one another is to say, may you be written, or may your name be written. This is how they greet one another during this whole season. May your name be written. Now you know why. It's not just because someone write your name. So that your name is written in the book of life that you fall into the favor and the grace of God. Okay, that's the third feast, right? The last feast of the seven is the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, some people also look at this. Oh, by the way, the the people say that okay, the day of atonement refers to the final judgment day, right? You can kind of look at that. The last one, the feast of Tab- tabernacles, five days after the feast of uh, the day of atonement, is something that people associate with the wedding supper of the land, right? It is a time of great celebration. In Revelation chapter nineteen, verse nine, and he said to me, "Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb." And he said to me, these are the true things of God, right? There's going to be a great celebration when all is said and done. After everything is said and done, finally, there's going to be this great celebration. You know, it just happens that the, you know, when Solomon, he built the first temple for God. David couldn't build the temple, so Solomon built the temple for God. When Solomon finally completed the temple, he had to bring the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant, which was residing in the tabernacle, he was going to bring that and he's going to finally place it in the, this temple that was built. That day, you read the Bible in Second Chronicles chapter 5-7, to seven, that day was the day of Sukkot, the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, right? So you can think of the Feast of the, the, the Tabernacles as the day which, in which God was finally taking His throne once and for all, right? He's finally taking His throne. And we read that, for instance, in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 11 verse 15 when it talks about how all the governments, the nations of the world will finally be given over to God and He will reign forever and ever. And sometimes we sing that song as well. 
Okay, now all these things, uh, by the way, again, I qualify, all dotted line, because the Bible doesn't speak of this in very explicit terms. Most of that, you have to kind of look at it, and you know, it looks like this could be it, right? So it's a bit of a kind of uncertainty involved here. Now, some people will say, but pastor, doesn't the Bible say that we don't know when Jesus is coming? And it's true, the Bible does say, right? In uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 32, that no one will know the day of, or the hour. And so this People who believe this, they have a very interesting way of kind of understanding this. You see, this is the lunar calendar, right? That we're talking about. All these things happen according to the lunar calendar. So how do you know in the lunar calendar? How do you know when it is the beginning of a month? At the beginning of the month, the moon is? The moon is? Because some people say round. Huh? The moon is always round, by the way. It's never square or triangular, <laughs> just in case. At the beginning of the month, the moon is dark. Dark, right? So how do you know it's the beginning of the month? It is when you look at the moon, and when it's dark, and eventually there's going to be a sliver of a silver sliver, right? That you can see just a line. When you first see that line, that is how you know this is the beginning of the month. So this is a very human process. You know, in Israel, there will be two witnesses that need to report to Jerusalem. They'll look at the moon, and they'll look. When someone says, I see it, then they go and report. If they get two witnesses, ah, that is the beginning. So sometimes, you know, it could be a bit of a hit and miss, right? You're never really sure. That's why in the Hebrew calendar, they often give two days for some of these things because you never know, you know. Because tonight, if you didn't see, uh, or, or maybe, maybe the moon, the sliver came out after you went to sleep, or... You know, maybe the sun came up and then you can't see the moon anymore. There are many, many reasons why it might be one day or another. So they say, this is the reason why the Bible says no one will know when the day or the hour because it's so uncertain. So this is how they say it, right? Okay, so now, when you look at all these things, quite aside from all this very interesting prophetic significance or if you like eschatological you know, uh, interpretations to these things, are there any other lessons that we can learn from some of these feasts that might be applicable to us today as Christians, right? Because I know the Jews, to, this, to them, this is very important. By the way, uh, if you were to go out today, today, uh, yesterday, yesterday was the Yom Teruah. It's the day of trumpets, right? So next Monday is the day of atonement. Very important season. These 10 days, very important. We'll talk about why it's so important. But if yesterday you went and you tell people, Wow, Yom Torah, you know, the Jews will look at you and scratch their head. Because to them, they don't follow the Bible anymore. Right? They, to them, yesterday was Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a word. That, Rosh means head. Shana means the year. So for them, yesterday was their new year. It's the beginning of the civil year. It's not the religious year. So these Jews, they have two years, you know. They have one religious year that begins in Nisan, and there's one Rosh Hashanah, right? The beginning of the civil year, which begins in Tishrei, which is yesterday. So for them, they celebrate it like New Year. But they don't know, many of the Jews don't know what is the biblical significance because some of them are just secular Jews. They don't read the Bible, right? Okay, so now, what about for us as Christians? How do we look at this and think about the meaning? So I want to suggest this morning in the time that we have left to quickly kind of look at uh, some of the meaning, the ways that we can observe some of this thing meaningfully as Christians. I want to look at the specific commandments that relate to the first two of the fall feasts, right? The first two of the fall feasts, which is the day of trumpets and the day of atonement. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, this Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, In the seventh month, and on the first day of the seventh month, that will be, in this year, it will be last Friday evening, because the Jewish day begins from sundown to sundown, right? So Friday evening to yesterday evening, that was the first day of the seventh month. You shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a time of remembering, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, right? A, a gathering. You shall do no customary work on it. What is customary work? Customary work are the work that you do for your livelihood. So if you are a teacher, then your customary work is teaching, right? If you are a cook, then your customary work is cooking. So the husband who is a teacher cannot come back home and tell the wife, Bible say, I don't work today. Huh? You still have to wash the toilet because that's not your customary work, right? That's just your homework. So you shall do no customary work in it. Don't work for you know, your livelihood. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And this, according to Numbers chapter 28, is a reference to a sin offering, to make an atonement for your sin, right? And then the Lord spoke to Moses. This again, he's saying, also, the tenth day of this seventh month. So the first one is day of trumpets. The tenth day shall be the day of atonement. So a different day now. It shall be a holy convocation to you. You shall afflict your souls. For the Jews, they take this to often mean uh, fasting. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in the soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people, and anyone who does not uh, does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever, throughout your generations, in all your dwellings. So this is not something for just for five years, for ten years, hundred years. According to the law of God, this is something that they're supposed to observe forever. How long is forever? Forever is forever, lah, right? So this is something clearly very important, at least to the Bibles, right? If not to the Jews. But whether it's important to Christians or not, Often, it's not that it's not unimportant to us, but I think Christians are generally quite ignorant about this, these things, right? So that's why we are looking at this today. Alright, so I have a chart for you that kind of shows you the, the layout of the... You know? So between the Day of Trumpets, some called Rosh Hashanah, right? You can see the little sliver of the moon, first of this year, the Day of Trumpets, until the Day of uh, Atonement, uh, otherwise known as the Yom Kippur or Yom HaKippurim, you have these 10 days. 10 days. And... Some people call it the days of awe, the days of uh, reverence. Other people call it the days of teshuva. In other words, the days of repentance. So what are these feasts to us, right? How can we understand these feasts? Let's talk about this. The Bible says this, uh, this season, and in fact the first day, is to be a memorial. You're supposed to remember. But what is it that we're supposed to remember? And I think in order to understand what it is that you remember, you have to kind of see how this whole season fits into God's, I guess, end time plan, right? So we're going to look at one other verse, just a little bit, two chapters down from Leviticus 23, Leviticus 25, where it talks about the Jubilee, right? This is very important. So it says, You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Okay, some of you, wow, very difficult, uh, the Bible language. Because those days, they don't have calculator. 
right? So they explain a few times, seven times, seven times. Make sure you got it, right? Because uh, nowadays you got chen fa piao, you got time table, you know what is seven times seven. Those days they don't have, uh, so they don't know. They'll explain to you, you shall count 49 years. Seven cycles of Sabbaths, right? And then what happens? After the 49 years, then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month, that is, on the day of atonement. Right? So there will be this big deal. Every 49 years, there will be a blowing of this trumpet on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet sound throughout your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each one shall return to his possession and each one of you shall return to his family. What is going on here? Well, you see, in the law of God, there's this special arrangement. Every 49 years, that's a special year. And that year is known as the year of jubilee. It's a year of rest. The whole year is a Sabbath. Okay, so some of us might be happy. You know, whole year you don't have to work. But more than just that, something else happens on this year, right? Now, if you are someone who owes money, you are a debtor, you owe somebody money, on that particular day, right? So, you come 49 years, on the last day of the 49 year, when the sun sets over the horizon in the Mediterranean Sea, in the land of Israel, there'll be a blowing of the shofar all across the land. From north to south, you can hear the sound all over the place, right? Now, when you hear that sound, that means the jubilee has started. At that very instant, when you hear the sound, your debts are cancelled. Wow. Everybody's debts are cancelled. That's crazy. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Oh, I mean, it's great if you are a debtor. Not so great if you are a lender, right? If you are a lender, then uh, there's... Right? If it was Chinese, all of us would go to the bank borrow money before that day. Right? <laughs> Probably, uh, knowing us, uh, but that's, a, that's an amazing day. Everybody who owes money. Wow. The, just think about how radical this idea is. It's just a very crazy idea. Okay, that's not all, right? If you are someone who perhaps you have owed so much money that you have either sold yourself or sometimes you sold your children as slaves. Now, the Bible slaves are a bit different from you know, the slaves that you see in uh, Roots or in America, that kind of slave. Slightly different, right? This is what's called indentured service. Basically, when you don't have enough money, you work for the guy until you have money. But this kind of slaves have rights. Huh? Right? They're not like the totally no-right slave. They can sue their master and they have certain right to it. Okay? In any case, if you're someone who, in the course of the 49 years, fell into bad times and you end up in this slavery, indentured service, you're working for someone. When you hear that sofa call, on that particular day, you know what? You are free. You are suddenly set free. Right? The, the captives are set free. If you are someone who's, because you're so desperate, you have to sell away your land. You know, because the Jews actually inherit land according to their tribes. Right? So that's your family land. But, you know, you fell in the hard times, you know, COVID came, economy bad. You sold your land away to, to kind of make up for things. You know, when you hear the sound of the shofar, guess what happens? That land goes back to you. Wow, this is like mind-blowing. I mean, it's especially mind-blowing for the poor. Blessed are the poor. You know, very often you wonder, why the Bible bless the poor? Leh? This is the reason. The Jubilee is especially good because when the Jubilee comes, they are set free. 
Now, if you are you're the boss, uh, you're the, the owner of slaves, not so good. Because yesterday, your slave cleaned your house for you. Uh, after four, four, next morning, you wake up, you clean your own house. Uh. Slaves all go home already. Uh, right? Now, you, you understand, these this are symbols, right? But this is what the good news is about. Jesus came, I came to set the captives free. To, to bind up the broken hearted, right? Jesus comes to proclaim the year of the Lord. What is he proclaiming? This is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news is for everybody who is in this situation, you're in bondage, you know, there is a day coming. And you are all waiting to hear that shofar because at the sound of the shofar, we are free. It is the sound of liberty. It's the sound of freedom. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, but uh, what if my debt is not monetary, it's not fiscal, it's not financial? What if my debt is spiritual? You are a spiritual debt. What, what is a spiritual debt? You sin against God, right? So that is a spiritual debt. What about a spiritual debt? What happens to it? What do you think happens to a spiritual debt? Well, you know, right? What day does Jubilee begin on? On the 10th day of Tishrei. That is, on the Day of Atonement. And guess what? On that very same day, even your spiritual debt is cancelled. This is an unbelievable day. I mean, you know, Israel has never ever kept the year of Jubilee. It's too disruptive. Like, you can imagine, uh, your economy is being in a whole mess. Uh, and people are all trying to game the, you know, game the game, right? Borrow money at this time. Uh, and other people don't want to lend money at this time. It's going to mess up the whole thing. But one day will come. We are looking at some future fulfillment that a day will come that you can enter into the rest of the Lord. You hear this phrase, enter into rest. It's talking all about this jubilee. The jubilee is the good news. The jubilee is the gospel. The jubilee is the rest of the Lord. This is what we're all hoping for. When you get there, you're set. Alright? Provided your name is in the right book. Okay? You name wrong book, then all bets are off. Okay, so, how do we, therefore, as Christians, understand the day of trumpets? Remember, this is all on the day of atonement. But the day of trumpets is actually 10 days before the day of atonement, right? So why do you need to have a day of trumpets? Well, there are several reasons why you need a day of Because the day of trumpets is the beginning of the month, right? So when you see this sliver of the moon at the beginning of the month, you know that Jubilee is not here yet, but your countdown has started. That's when your countdown is started. You start counting the moment you hear the trumpet call. So the trumpet is a kind of anticipation. It anticipates that it's coming. Now, you might have a whole year, you're doing a whole bunch of other things, but on the day of trumpets, the Yom Torah, there will be a sounding of the trumpet, which is what we did this morning. When you hear that, you start counting. Ah, you take out your, you know, in Chinese, I've got this calendar, ten, 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 ten. okay, number one, that's it, right? You're counting all the way to ten, because when ten comes, that's it. That's the day we are entering into freedom. And then we get to 15, that's the party time, right? That's a, a feast of tabernacles. That's kind of how it works. So it is an anticipation. But what does it anticipate? It anticipates a number of things, right? It anticipates that the Lord is coming. Joel chapter 2 verse 1, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble at the day of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Okay, at hand means coming, okay, just in case you're confused. So it's saying that when you hear this trumpet, yes, it's not here yet, but you know it's coming. So you are hopeful. Okay, you don't, you don't do silly things like commit suicide or all that. Hang on, 10 more days, you can make it. That is hope. 
right? This is very important. But it's also a reminder that judgment is coming. If the day of the Lord is coming, then judgment is also coming. And that is why these 10 days are known as the days of repentance. That's where you are you know, anticipating that God is not just coming to, to set free, but there's also a certain judgment associated with it. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, you know, some of you may have read that part. There's uh, these seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Have you read it? You know, church, uh, many of you have read the church of Laodicea, right? And every one of these letters, I would say most of them, not all of them, but most of them will have a commendation. You did this well. It comes with a warning or rather a criticism. You did this badly, right? And then there's one part which is a warning, which is, you know, you need to buck up in these areas because if you don't, I'm coming back and I may take your lampstand away, right? So it begins with a trumpet blast. It says, in a, it says that on Sunday, on one Sunday, John, the one who wrote the book of Revelations, heard a loud voice of a trumpet, right? And it is followed by the letters of commendation, of criticism, and also of warning. So, you can think of the Day of Trumpets as a kind of reminding us that not only is Jubilee coming, but judgment is also coming. So we have warning, right? We have warning. Okay. So how can we, therefore, as Christians, um, respond to this? How do we observe, as it were, this particular season that we are in, right? I want to make a few suggestions. The suggestions comes in 4R. First R is repentance, right? We have to repent before the Lord. And, um, you know, when we look in, the, uh, in Ezra chapter 3, the children of Israel, they, they read the law, and it says here in verse 6, For the first day of the seventh month, that's the day of trumpets, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord although the foundation of the temple of the Lord has not been laid. Now, why did they offer burnt offerings? The reason is because in Numbers 29, it says, verse 4, said, you shall offer this to atone for your sins. Right? So it's a time for you to reflect on your sins. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the people read the law of God on that particular day. So that's the day where you reflect on what God has said. That's the day that you reflect on what you have done wrong and you come before God and you repent before God. And God, you know, when you come and when you come before God with our, our sins, you discover that God is very gracious to us. You know, the longer we live as human beings, the more you become aware of our own imperfections, our flaws. Right? I'm sure it's true of all of us. I mean, when you're very young, you think you're perfect. Lah. But you know, as you get older in life, you start to realize you're not so perfect. You know? And especially those people close to you, they know what your flaws are. People far away, sometimes they don't see your flaws. But those who are close to you, you know, or some flaws may be known only to yourself and God. Now, what these days are, these 10 days are, they are a provision. When God looks at us, He sees our humanity, He sees our mortality. He knows that, you know, even when you try your best, sometimes we will foul up, you know, we make missteps. We sin in our life. God knows this. He doesn't condemn us. He says, you know what? I made a provision for you. If you foul up, this is what you do. During the season, you come before the Lord, you repent, and then God will deal with it, right? So in Psalm chapter 103, verse 13 to 14, it says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So this provision is accessed through repentance. The first R. How do you repent for your sins? Right? Repentance, huh? doesn't pay for your sins. 
A lot of people think that repentance pays for the sin. You cannot pay for the sin, right? Uh, because once it's broken, it's broken. Imagine you come to my house, right? You see, wow, nice antique vase. I don't have antique vase in my house, uh. right? Imagine lah, imagine have lah, and you, oh, you pop, 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 drop down, plang, break already, uh. If well, I pay you a thousand dollars to pay for it, lah. You know the thousand dollars, as much as it is, cannot make the vase come back and become well again, right? So when you sin, it's like this, you know, you can't really pay for it. You can make restitution, you can't pay for it because it's broken already. But what rest, repentance is is. It is to acknowledge the injury that you cause to the other party, right? You recognize, you humble yourself and say, yes, I have caused this hurt to you. And I think as Christians, we do need, there's a certain way of saying sorry, right? Saying sorry to God. And Christians don't talk about this a lot, but you know, we probably should. Because there's a way of saying sorry. You don't say sorry by saying, God, I'm sorry, but he made me do it. I'm sorry, but it wasn't my fault. My mother brought me up like this, you know. Oh, God, I'm sorry, but you know, actually, it wasn't so bad. You know, we always like to have a but somewhere in your sorry statement, right? I'm sorry, but I'm not the only one who did it. We all did it together, right? So, I'm telling you, to say sorry properly, you cannot have a but in there, right? You must just say sorry, it is my fault. You accept responsibility for the injury. You don't say sorry in order to get something. Ah, sorry, so can I come in again? Ah, that's just saying sorry to get something, right? You say, the reason you repent before the Lord is to tell God that you accept responsibility for the injury that you have caused to, uh, in this case, to God, right? But that's also how we say sorry to one another. My, uh, I'm also learning, uh, my wife always tell me how to say sorry. Uh. I'm learning how to say sorry, right? Don't make up excuses, don't tell one thousand, say, grandfather, grandmother stories, right? Just say, God, I know this is wrong and I have hurt you. That is how you say sorry, right? So this is a season in which we come to the Lord and we recognize that we have injured the other party. And what God really wants ultimately is not the sacrifice itself. In Psalms 51, when, when uh, David came to say sorry to God, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice or else I will give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Right? So first thing is to say sorry, to repent before the Lord. Now some people say repent is turning 180 degrees. Uh, not 360. Uh, 360 means you're all the way back there again. But 180 degrees. Now, let me ask you, does repentance mean you never sin again? No. You, you don't want to sin again, but you know what? Humans, uh, humans will sin again. So repentance doesn't mean that you never do it again. Some people dare not repent. You say, I say, I repent already. Then afterwards, I sin again. So I better don't repent. No, I don't think it works like this. Lah, huh? So you, you do say sorry. But we also recognize we're humans. That's why there is such a provision. All right? Now secondly, beyond saying sorry. Huh? Some people say sorry, no cure. Ma, right? So beyond saying sorry, what else do you need to do? That's second R. Right? That's restitution or reconciliation. You've got to make things right. To the extent that you can. You cannot completely reverse things. In many cases, you might not be able to do anything about it because it's too late. But you can try to reconcile. You can try to make restitution. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there at the altar. Go your way. Doesn't mean go home. Lah. Go and find his brother. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So, we need to be reconciled with other people to the extent that you can humanly, right? So some of us, if perhaps you 
have this kind of estranged relationship in your life, this will be a great season to think about, you know, is there something I can do to bring healing, to bring repair to that particular relationship? Now, in order to bring reconciliation, actually you need another R, right? And that third R is to release, right? And actually, let's say forgiveness, to release forgiveness. So the third way that we can observe this season is by releasing forgiveness to other people. In as much as we look forward to entering the Jubilee when our debts are cancelled, we too must recognize that God has one condition for that. And that one condition is that you must also forgive others. You must also cancel the debt for others, right? In uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 35, it says, But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High. You'll be like God, in other words, right? For He is kind to the unthankful and evil. You know, God is actually kind to bad people. And this is frustrating, you know, for, for good people, huh? for the righteous. Sometimes you get so upset with God. God, how can you even forgive this person? How can this person, a scoundrel, how can you forgive him? God, you're too merciful. Huh? But of course, when it comes to forgive us, God, thank you, God, you're very merciful, right? But forgive other people, sometimes you cannot accept. Huh? Because... To us, uh, you want to hold on to something. See, the reason why we find it so hard to forgive people very often comes down to the injury, right? the hurt that we carry. And when you have hurt, you become afraid of being, uh, being injured again. Right? You don't want to be injured again. So, we are afraid that if you forgive somebody, this person is just going to come around and injure you again. You see, That's why you are afraid. If, if I don't do something, I don't retaliate in some way, I don't do something about this, this person is going to not realize it and he's going to injure me again. Therefore, I cannot forgive him. Right? My not forgiving him is a way to protect myself. This is what is true for a lot of people. So we don't want to forgive people because we are afraid that people may not understand the pain that we experience. The truth of the matter is, the people who hurt you often, they have forgotten already. They don't even know they hurt you a lot of times. Right? But you, you are hanging on to this. Right? Because this is your final weapon. It's the one thread you have you know, holding him. In your mind, you're punishing this person. In your mind, I'm punishing you. I'm holding you. I'm not letting you go. Because if I let you go there, I've got nothing left. This is how many people feel. True or not? Some of us, perhaps you're carrying pain in your heart for a long time. Recently, a lady came up to me. I don't even know who this lady is. But, you know, which is often the case, I don't remember people, much because this was one long, long time. Pastor, I, I used to be uh, in this church, uh, not this church I was at, St. John's Margaret. I was in the church uh, 20 over years ago, 20 over years ago, I can't even remember who you are. But Pastor, I forgive you. Oh, you forgive me? Uh. So, for what? Because you scratched my car. Huh? You, when did I scratch your car? 20 something years ago, uh, you opened your door and you hit my car. Wow, you've been remembering this for 20-something years. Huh? I've been sleeping very peacefully, huh, to be honest. Huh? I have no idea that I scratched your car or beat your car. I thought I'm very careful. I don't even know whether what you say is true or not, frankly. But, I say, but today I forgive you. I say, I'm glad you forgive you. Because you, know, you release yourself. Huh? Right? You know, sometimes we, we hold on because we, we want the debt to be paid. We want the injury to be repaired. You, are not, you haven't accepted the pain yet. Right, it's still hurting you. So you're afraid that you let go, your injury will never get well. This is the reason why a lot of people cannot forgive other people. Because we are afraid of pain. And I know what it's like. You know, I also, you know, one of the things I 
dislike most. I generally have a very high threshold of pain. Uh, I don't mind pain. Uh, but I don't like injection. Injection uh, is the one thing. This is something to do with when I was getting my BCG. The nurse are uh, step, 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 step. I get very scared of it. Uh. Childhood problem, right? So now I grow up, I also become very scared of pain. Uh. Even though, uh, so especially the blood the blood one, the, the, the needle is like a pipe like this. So I always tell the nurse, just don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. You just take the blood. I close my eyes. Then the nurse, why, why? okay, now I poke you. I'm coming out. Why tell me? I'm trying not to tell. I'm thinking about soccer and other things. Right? Because I got this fear. Now, the truth is, the pain is like end bite only, right? It's not that painful. But you know what? I got stuck with the pain for a very long time. So I can't get it out of my head. So whenever it comes, I'm like, move, move. Stop moving! Okay, so we go back. Then the needle come, coming out, I'll move again. Okay? I told you don't move. Stand, I tell you, don't tell me, you just stab it, right? Now, many of us are like this. Huh? We got some injuries, some wounds inside here over the years. But this is a season huh? when we need to release. Huh? Because if you don't release, your wound also cannot heal. Right? So this is the season when you are to release. Now, I think God knows that this is not an easy thing for us to do. That's why it gives us 10 days. Ah. So these 10 days, ah, you got time to go back and reflect. Are there things in your life, particularly starting with the hurts, ah, starting with the injuries? Those are the probably the sins that you cannot overlook. The injuries that you cannot recover from. Right? Things that you cannot forgive. Usually to do with these kind of things. Okay, so now you think in your life, are there things that, you know, you are still in bondage to the chains? The chain of the pain is holding you all these years. So the third thing is, you need to release, right? You need to release forgiveness. Uh, you know, Jesus is like totally radical. He says, uh, but I tell you, not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek and hurt you, slap back. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Turn the other cheek to him for also. That's that's like that's the opposite of what you do. How are you already afraid of hurt one side? Maybe just a balance of two side pain. At least you don't walk one side, right? I mean, this is something that's very hard for us to do because we are trying to avoid pain. But Jesus absorbed the pain, you know. So you know what? I'll take it. I'll not hold it against you. Forgive them for they know not what they do. In the church. Right? In the church family, in our Christian family, in your house families, the thing that holds us together is never perfection. Nobody can ever be perfect. Right? Actually, what holds us together as a family is forgiveness. Because when people make mistakes and you forgive, then the power of that mistake is, is gone. It has no power to break you, you see. But if people are expecting, how come you're a Christian, you're not so holy, uh? you know, why didn't you, you perfectly keep None of us can do that. We are all mortals, right? So today, in this season, it's a very good season. It's a good season for us to reflect on our mortality, our humanity. And then you do these four R's. The first R is you can, what's the first R? Repent. Repent. Second R is reconcile or make restitution, right? The third R is release. Release forgiveness. The fourth R is Actually, I haven't said yet, right? That's all you know. <laughs> Fourth R is you receive. Lah. You can receive, right? Actually, when we receive God's love and the wholeness of God, all those wounds, ah, they heal. God heals the broken hearted, right? 
heals the broken heart. What broken hearted is he talking about? It's not talking about your, your you know, uh, disappointment, uh, you didn't pass exam, not that kind of thing. It's talking about all these kind of things that breaks your heart with another person. God heals those broken hearts. So today in closing, just a couple of things I want you to think about. Are there things in your life that you need to be saying sorry for? And say it properly. Okay? Say it properly. Don't say sorry but, right? That you need to say sorry to God. Perhaps you may need to actually say sorry to people around you. Secondly, are there relationships that are in need of restoration, in need of reconciliation in your life? You know what? These 10 days, they are a great time to be thinking about that thing, right? Third one, Forgiveness, challenging one, right? Dig around. Some of you, by God's grace, you are all right. Some of us carrying pains that you carry so long until you got used to it already, right? But maybe this is a season to release that forgiveness. The last one to receive. You know, there may be some of us here today who you've never been a Christian because you thought that to become a Christian you must be perfect. But today you see from God's word that God specifically makes provision for imperfect people. And you never, before this, receive Christ in your life. Now today, will be a great time to receive God's love in your life. Because He is a God who is incredibly kind. He cancels that, right? And you want to be in that place. So maybe this is for you also today. So I'm going to ask all of us to close our eyes as we do. You know, the shofar blowers, they're going to blow the trumpet for us, right? Just one long one. And then when you hear that trumpet, you think about all these things, right? Let's just close our eyes. Imagine you're in the land of Israel, you know, the sun is setting over the Mediterranean Sea. At that sound, we remember that God's mercy, His grace, His amazing grace for every one of us, is there for us to receive. I wonder if there's anyone here today, there's no one looking around, eyes closed. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you say, Pastor, you know, I would like to receive this from God, right? I'm not a Christian yet, but I want to receive God's grace from me. All these things that we're talking about, I want to enter into that jubilee. If that's you, no one looking around, just put your hand up real quick, wherever you are, and then put it down again. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone here? Just like this. We won't wait 10 days, all right, but maybe 10 seconds. Is there anyone here? Just put up your hand and down again if that's you. Right? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yeah, I see the hand. You can put that down again. Anyone else? Some hands. Yeah, I can put those hands down. Lord, you are so kind to us, Lord. You know that we are imperfect people. Actually, you know that we are very sinful people, deeply flawed people. And yet, God, you turn your other cheek to us. You absorb the injury that we caused to you. You say that you forgive us through your son dying on the cross 2,000 years ago. On that cross, you did not hold us. You did not hold on to unforgiveness. Rather, you release your perfect forgiveness to us because you love us so much. So thank you, God, that you, you invite us into your jubilee. Now, Father, I come before you today in repentance. We, we know that we have caused you injury. So Lord, we accept that responsibility. But you know us, God. We are imperfect. We want to be reconciled to you. 
We want to be made right with people around us. Help us, Lord. Give us your Holy Spirit. Change our hearts so that we'll become more like you, the kind, the merciful God, Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For all of us today in this season, these 10 days, as we run up to the Day of Atonement next Monday, it will be a great day because, God, we know that our names are not just written in the book of life. It's etched in the palm of your hands, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you. Give us the power to break free of chains that hold us. Some of us, we have been slaves to our pain all these years. Holding on in fear that we may be injured again. Holding on in fear that our injury may never be healed. Give us the power to release these things and to receive your perfect healing. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen. Shall we stand together as we sing this uh, song before we have a special closing item? International Week of Deaf People. And today, you know, we have our very own ministry of death. And among us, you know, the members of the deaf community, they would like to sign a blessing over all of us. They will be signing twice. The first time it will be without music. Now this is their woe. This is how their woe sounds like. 
you know, every single week. And if you are able to sign along, then you can join them as well. But even as, uh, in this moment of silence, as they sign this blessing song to us. Alright, the second time, we will do it together, together with the band, and we will sing it over each, uh, each and every one of us. Alright, let's welcome, would you put your hands together? Alright, let's welcome the Ministry of Death. sing this song Thank you for your love for all of us. As deaf people, we thank you for sign language so we can communicate with you and share with both the deaf community and with the hearing community. In this week of International Week of Deaf People, we ask that you reveal yourself more to more of our deaf friends even though we cannot physically hear with our ears we can hear you in our spirit Lord bless us so we can be a blessing and share your love with others we give you all the glory in Jesus name Amen.